0: I first want to uh, apologize to Amy and Jordan, because they, they work diligently to make sure that all the correct information is on the screen and in the bulletin, and I'm changing the scripture. So as uh, someone I used to work with told me one time, and it was directed completely at me, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you've got to work with a turkey. <laughs> so I apologize. We are going to be reading from uh, the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge. For the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. John replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for this, this time, this place, the opportunity that you give us to be able to gather together with family and friends, loved ones, to, to worship you. And hopefully, through our worship, draw closer to you. Be reminded of who you are and who we're called to be. We thank you that we have an opportunity to be blessed by you through the sharing of our gifts. And now this morning, as we turn collectively to your scriptures, we pray that you might open our ears. so that we can become those people that you've called us to be, that you've created us to be. People who reflect your image into this world. People who live and love in such a way that that others are drawn to you. Let us burn with your grace and your glory so that others come like a moth to a flame. Again, transform us because I know that I don't always burn bright so hide me behind your cross let the words that come out of my mouth be your words, words that contain a power that mine Never will. And may we grow in grace and peace. Amen. So Jaron uh, did a great job of getting us started last week on this new sermon series that we're doing called Jesus the Christ. Now, um, we're, we're kind of using as an outline this book uh, it's called What Jesus Meant, and um, I just didn't like that title at all. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I, um, I, feel, I feel pretty, I don't know, I, I think that maybe it would be too uh, presumptuous to stand up here and tell you uh, without, a, without a shadow of a doubt that this is what Jesus meant. Do you know what I mean? Like, doesn't that seem a little bit too much? I mean, we try, right? Don't we try? We tr- I mean, we're trying to figure out what Jesus meant. But at the same time, I think that the best we can do is, is try to figure out um, who we should be through the way we understand Jesus. I, I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say this again. Um, do you, you, well, we all remember the what would Jesus do thing, right? And that was kind of supposed to be like your guiding. Um, I think that that's really good. What would Jesus do? That's not bad. But I think more importantly is... Um, what should I do, in light of who Jesus is, or um, what would I do? How would I behave if that other person was Jesus? Um, does that make sense? And then, so it, we have to struggle with, well, then who is Jesus, and and what does Jesus then mean to me, and what should like what should my life look like if I truly if I truly profess to be in a relationship with somebody, and I truly profess to love somebody, and I want to be like that person, and I want to and. I, Shouldn't I at least try to figure out maybe who they are um, and then try to live in a relationship with that person like if if i if I told you how much I love Denise and that um you know i I, I want to spend the rest of my life um, living in this relationship with Denise and that I think that my relationship with Denise really does impact the way that I relate to all of you it does i mean it does right you get that um, but I didn't really. Spend any time with Denise, and I, and I couldn't tell you much about Denise, and I didn't really spend any time thinking about Denise. Would you believe a word I said when I told you how much I loved her? No. Um, So now here's the thing, too, right? Like we are in relationships. How how much time do we spend thinking about our relationships, really, or do we just like sort of haphazardly live into them? How intentional? Are we in our relationships? Or are we just kind of like, hey, whatever, man. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But in, think, of, think right now about your most important relationship. Right? Just think for a moment. How much time do you spend thinking about how you should live in that relationship? Is it under an hour a day? There you go point made, right? Okay, so seriously, um, like how much do you spend any time, and I'm being honest, right? Like I'm not sure I spend a whole lot of time thinking about how I should live in my relationship with Denise. I'm often more reactive than I am proactive, right? So when I screw things up, then I'm starting to think about, okay, what should I do here, (laughs) right? Um, But I'm not often thinking about what should I do in order to not screw up, and so wh- i think what we're trying to do with the, at least i think this is what we're trying to do with this sermon series is this let's spend some time thinking about this relationship seriously thinking about this relationship so that we're more intentional in living into it let's 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 seriously spend some time thinking about this this person that we say we have a relationship with so that we can be more intentional in it so that we don't find ourselves all the time thinking oh my gosh look how i screwed that up and then trying to react to that but we're thinking about look Look at all the great ways I can live into this. So, again, Jaron got us started um, last week, and he did a great job. This week we're calling it The Work Begins. And I wanted to look at this this call story, because this is something that has struck me recently. Jesus tells the disciples little at the outset, right, about who he is or what he is. That doesn't come at the very beginning. Jesus doesn't go up to them and say, this is who I am. Look, I'm the son of God. Or, you know, hey, listen guys, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't do that. What he does is he tells them what they will be. Listen, if you follow me, if you, this is what you're going to be. That the fishers among them will fish for men. That That Peter's going to be called... The Rock. Listen, you're gonna be. You're gonna, this, is what, this is what's gonna happen to you. That Nathaniel, right? You're gonna see the heavens open, man. I love that one, right? You think you've seen something, well, you haven't seen nothing yet. Come on. You wanna be blown away? Come on. This is who you're gonna become, and so the excitement is about who are you going to become what a great question right like as we follow jesus who are we becoming are we becoming anything or are we simply the same people we were before we started following jesus it's just now i know this guy let me tell you all about him So in in Luke, Peter's intrigued by what his brother... This is actually in the Gospel of John that I was going to read earlier. uh, Peter's intrigued by what his brother said of the Baptist protege. Now, I I put the Baptist protege because depending on the tradition and, and what you read, some people believe and some people teach that Jesus was actually, for a while, a disciple of John the Baptist. And then he comes out from under that and begins his own ministry. And so... Um, you will find where it talks about Jesus being the protege of John the Baptist. But, but what made Peter a follower was the scene that resonates to this day in Luke chapter 5 that we just read, right? Something transpired here that makes Peter a follower. Yes, it was interesting what his brother had to tell him. Oh, that's, that's, you know, he, when he told him about Jesus, that interested him. But when Jesus told him who he would become, It converted him. And what's his first response? Keep away from me because I'm a sinner. Listen, you're going to become this great thing. Ah, ah, you must not really know me because that's not who I am. You're awesome. I'm garbage. Stay away from me. Jesus says, no, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And I think that such awe is natural in the presence of Jesus. If we don't find ourselves in awe when we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus, we may ask ourselves, are we actually in the presence of Jesus? Or are we in the presence of what we think Jesus is? If Jesus is something that we can somehow be in the presence of, and not feel awe, not feel overwhelmed, but simply like I used to have this thing, and I think I've shared this before, it's not one of my prior moments. I had uh, what was called "Bobblehead Jesus. That was not awe-inspiring. OK? I mean, do you remember like Buddy Jesus' T-shirts and stuff like that? It was cute. But that's bad. Jesus is awe inspiring. Jesus continually tells people to their astonishment that no company, though, is beneath his presence. So, yes, being in the presence of Jesus is awe inspiring, but he continually tells them, but don't, don't think that that somehow excludes you. No, you're welcome in this awful, this, this awesome presence right and what he says to peter he says to all of us did you catch what he said first they go out into the water jesus is preaching but then what does he tell them to do go into deep water how many of us are hanging out near the shore when we're actually being called to go into the deep water the deep water is dangerous oh but it's fruitful The deep water is uncomfortable; it's unsettling. What is the deep water? It could be different, right, for each one of us. Like, like I think this: How many of us like to spend any time in self-reflection? A couple of us, maybe. Right, but for the most part, it's a scary thing to spend time thinking about your own areas of growth. How about if we put it that way? But maybe what Jesus is calling us to when he calls us to the deep water is where is this, like, spend a little bit of time thinking about yourself. Who is Jesus calling you to be and are you actually becoming that person? That's that's scary. Or, or is, or, Or do you feel like maybe Jesus is calling you to go somewhere? But it's very uncomfortable. I've shared before. For me, that was working with people who are experiencing homelessness. It can be deep water, it can be very treacherous, very scary. But the interesting thing is, Jesus is already in the boat. Jesus calls us to go where he himself has gone. Out into the deep water. This Okay, again, self-reflection here, right? This is what I'm doing this morning. You can, you can either just be in prayer for me, um, and dear God, please make Jeff a better Christian. Um, or you can maybe spend some time reflecting for yourself what that might look like. But, But I wonder... I wonder if I'm going deep enough. Or or if I somehow just fit buddy Jesus comfortably into the life I've already carved out for myself. Because here's, here's where I keep stumbling, and this is where I keep coming back to. If Jesus fits really comfortably into the life that I absolutely want to live, I may be more in relationship to buddy Jesus than I am Jesus, the Son of God. John the Baptist and Jesus, they are connected from the very beginning. In in all the Gospels, they're connected from the very beginning, right? They're cousins. Uh, There's the birth announcements. They're, they're, They're connected. Uh, the early ministry, the, 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 the announcement in the Gospel of John that we see, um, the baptism, it's John that baptizes Jesus. And again, right, so some say that because of all this stuff, that John is, or Jesus may actually have been a disciple of Jesus. But eventually reports, get to, reports about Jesus get back to John, and we begin to see that John himself is puzzled by what in the world Jesus is doing. What are you doing? Right? So in Luke chapter 7, we can go and we can look at it. At this very time, it says this, beginning in verse 22. Then he told John's disciples. So John's disciples come because they're like, hey, John wants us to ask you some questions. Why would he send him to ask him questions? Because he's very confused, right? On what in the world are you doing, Jesus? I've been telling people to follow you. I told people that I was preparing the way for you, and I don't even know what in the world you're doing. Was I wrong? Was I completely wrong? Because you're not fitting what I thought you were supposed to be. Then he tells John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And when John's messengers are gone, he spells out his relationship with John to his disciples. After John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. He's more than a prophet. But what's happening here in this story is this, is that Jesus seems to be moving away from the strict self-discipline that John has taught. And soon, what Jesus is doing is he's mixing easily, some would say too easily, with very worldly people. It's interesting, I'm going to pause, this isn't in my notes, but it just popped into my head. It's interesting to me that um, there are many clergy persons, I'll just pick on them because I am them, um, who are afraid to be seen at certain things. Mm -hmm. we can all name the places right it's also very interesting to me this has happened to me on more than one occasion I walk into a restaurant never here by the way right always other churches but I walk into a restaurant and there are people there who might attend to the church that I'm currently serving and I see them try to hide the margaritas (laughs) Or, or whatever right it's like oh yeah no I'm just drinking my water (laughs) <laughs> All right,
1: let's just leave that there.
0: Um, <laughs> so here's the thing about Jesus, right? He's, he's mixing with these worldly people. It's not that he doesn't fast like John, right? Um, it's just that he doesn't seem to be keeping the eating codes of the Orthodox, so yeah he might he, we don't know if he fasts or not, but we do know that he doesn't seem to follow the eating codes. He eats with unclean people. He eats with prostitutes, with Roman collaborators. Again, what happens is the reason that John sends him and what other people are starting to look at, is he seems to have been reached the point where he's betraying actually the mission of John. Because the mission of John was to call for repentance. And as you're watching Jesus, you're like, if anybody needs repentance, it's this guy. And so the murmurings, they begin early. And they, they intensify. As Jesus takes this course, it's very different from John's from the moment he leaves the desert. But it's not just different than John's. It's also different from From that of the priests in the cities. Again, Luke chapter 5, where we were at, to begin this whole thing. In Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 35, one day some people said to Jesus, John, the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they're going to fast. Jesus knew about all this talk about him. He wasn't shocked when all of a sudden people start criticizing him and and coming after him for the things that he seems to be doing. Um, He knows that they call him a glutton and a drunkard. But to call him a, dr- a glutton and a drunk- drunkard isn't just light criticism. I, I want to make sure we understand what's happening here. This is actually, when that, when that is leveled against him, what they're actually saying is you are failing to follow Torah and you deserve to be stoned. Let me, let me go back here for a second. Let's look in Deuteronomy. All right, this is Deuteronomy chapter 21. The parents must say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn, and rebellious, and refuses to obey. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town must stone him to death. In this way you will purge this evil from among you, and all Israel will hear about it and be afraid. That is what they're saying about Jesus, is that he is breaking Torah, he is evil, he should be stoned. That's a lot more heavy than just simply being a little overweight and drinking too much. <laughs> he's not following Torah. Or, or maybe better is to you know when you look at it maybe maybe what he's actually doing is he's just simply picking and choosing what he likes. About Torah, or maybe what he's doing is he's picking and choosing, or he's he's somehow sifting or discerning what seems to continue to fit with what he's teaching, and and what are some things that maybe he needs to let go. But whatever he's doing, it's definitely not what his parents taught him. It's definitely not what John taught him. another question just popped into my head am I a disciple of John the Baptist am I a disciple of Jesus' parents or am I a disciple of Jesus it's less what he says than what he does that draws people to him the very presence of Jesus is cleansing cleansing At a time when sick people were considered unclean, Jesus accepts them and nurtures the afflicted, bringing them back into the human community. Many of Jesus' miracles are worked for outsiders, for non-Jewish, like the centurion or the woman from Tyre or the leper from Samaria. But the greatest category has to do with people who are unclean, with whom observant Jews are to have no dealings, Lepers, prostitutes, the crippled, the reviled, and yes, with the uncircumcised. He walks through social barriers and taboos effortlessly. I wish I could. I can't. I struggle. I, I really am worried what people will think if I walk through social barriers and taboos. People and practices, other people were required to shun. Jesus seems to embrace with a calmness that infuriates the proper and observant in his culture. He, He just effortlessly He's willing to in- challenge this entire holiness code of his time, right? In Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 11, he, he talks about, like, it's not about what you eat that defiles you. When, when he says that, he, he's ch- like this, observant Jews at the time are going to look at him and be like, no, actually, it's absolutely what you eat that defiles you. What are you talking about? Just go back and read Torah. He says, no, it's not about what you eat. It's about things like what comes out of your mouth. What's in your heart? Because that's where purity comes from, right? It comes from your heart. His miracles are targeted to teach lessons about the heavenly reign he brings with him. And one of the main lessons is that people should not be separated into classes of the clean and the unclean. The worthy and the unworthy. Or the respectable and the unrespectable. He's told his followers that they are privileged since they enter into a new intimacy with the Father through his own identification with the Father. But if they try to make that a privilege to be used against others or each other, then they're betraying the point of their union with the Father, whose love is undiscriminating and inclusive, not gradated and exclusive. When you look at Jesus' ministry, there's nobody, there's nobody that is excluded, including the religious leaders, We often want to read it and be like, well, I mean, I've had friends, right, that, that point out, like, who's Jesus always angry at? He's always angry at the religious leaders, right? And that's often directed at me. And then I point out, actually, uh, there was a couple Pharisees that were in his group. So back off, man. Even me. Even you. In fact, I think that the only time that we find ourselves on the out is when we're trying to determine who should be out. (laughs) I have this weird image in my head, right? It's like I'm standing. Like again, this is a weird image. I'm sorry, Uh, but I'm picturing a fence, right? And in the inside that fence is Jesus, and I'm outside the gate, and I'm trying to make sure that I keep everyone that I don't think that should come into the gate, through the gate, and then the gate closes, and I realize, well, crap, I'm standing outside of it. (laughs) His followers are not to aspire to the social register, but to seek out the forsaken, Because no outcasts were cast out far enough in Jesus' world to make him shun them. Not Roman collaborators, not lepers, not prostitutes, not the crazed, not the possessed. None. So the question I think we have if we're going to truly follow Jesus the Christ, the question we have for us today is this. Are there any people now, today, who could possibly be outside his encompassing love?